Welcome to another episode of Keep Kenya Learning, a podcast where we share the perspectives of parents and the organizations that support them and their learning experiences. We share our successes, mistakes, and lessons. We hope that they may serve you in your journey to support caregivers. This is the story of our journey and the efforts to keep Kenya learning. In our last episode, we covered the practicality of online learning in Kenya during the COVID-19 pandemic. Today, we're discussing all things community and confidence, bringing together the voices of the dedicated partners behind the Keep Kenya Learning campaign. As we mentioned in our pilot episode, Keep Kenya Learning is a culmination of the efforts of a number of organizations. So I bet you're wondering, how did they all come together in the first place? Well, in studio today, we have some of the brains behind Keep Kenya Learning from two organizations doing amazing work in education already, EdTech East Africa and Metis Collective. Help me give a warm welcome to Jennifer Otieno and Rebecca Krug. <laughs> wow. Okay. It's a fairly cool day in Nairobi. How are you feeling today? Um, what are you looking forward to? Feeling great and excited to be having this conversation today. Mm-hmm. Rebecca? I am warmed up for my dawa. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. I'm looking forward to hearing as much information from you on why you chose to start Keep Kind of Learning. Okay, so I'm a firm believer in the fact that people know themselves better and their work better than any other person. So can you introduce yourselves? Um, how and why did you venture into education and what's your because story? Alrighty. My name is Rebecca. I was born and raised in the United States. Um, and that's where I began my, my journey in education. I'm a former teacher. I taught primary school. Um, and then relocated to South Africa afterwards um, to support learning as a principal. Um, and then have found myself in Kenya for the last five plus years, very happy to be an immigrant here and have supported um, principals um, and teacher development um, and now get to support an ecosystem of education leaders and entrepreneurs through our work at Metis. Um, And I think I'll let Jen introduce herself and then we can tell the story of well, wind the clocks back to 2020 to how we kind of birthed Keep Kenya Learning. Sure. Thanks, Rebecca. So my name is Jennifer Otieno. Uh, I am an educator through my entire career, so about the last 20 years. Um, my why of why I got into education was actually very much a result of my own experience. So I was very fortunate to have opportunities that allowed me to grow outside of the classroom. So when I was young, I had an opportunity through Rotary Club to study abroad in Brazil. Um, I got a scholarship from the U.S. Navy to attend university, which allowed me to be the first person in my family to actually go to university. Um, And I had all of these amazing opportunities that allowed me to sort of broaden my worldview mm-hmm. and, and create sort of a different, uh, different life for myself than, than maybe others in my family had, had, had an opportunity to have. So I wa- when I decided to, you know, what was going to be my career, I wanted to pass on those opportunities to others. Mm-hmm. I wanted to be able to create that openness and that willingness to engage uh, for for people to be able to explore the world around them in different ways. So that's what drove me to education. And and for most of my career, I've worked in 
non-formal education, so looking at different types of learning models that actually complement formal systems and allow people to uh, gain those additional learning experiences that help their lives flourish. Nice. Um, and tell us about the work that you do. Tell us more about EdTech East Africa and Metis. Sure. Um. <laughs> I kind of was like, should we slow towards KKL? Um, Okie doke. So, Jen, thanks so much for sharing your story. That's so rich. And I think that I that really, really resonates um, with me. I think that um, for my time inside and outside the, the classroom, I really have just seen like so many of our learning environments in in schools, um, I think, fall short of of their potential. I think that um, that learning can feel a bit archaic, a bit stuck um, in a in a previous century. We have teachers at the front of the classroom and kids kind of perceived as passive recipients of knowledge. Um, and I think that deeply undermines the potential of not only kids, but also adults, leaders in classrooms. So um, that's what's kind of my dri driven my work to support leaders who are really reimagining learning both within and beyond classrooms. And um, that's what the community at Metis seeks to do. Um, one of our core offerings is a fellowship. And through this fellowship, we identify um, Kenyan changemakers who are leading change in government and for-profits and non-for-profits. These are folks who are really pushing the envelope and really thinking, you know, we can do better than this. How can we really reinvent teaching and learning? So um, over the course of the fellowship, we connect fellows to tools, resources, and really each other, um, a strong community, um, so that they can make their ideas uh, come to life. So fellows create new schools, new policies, new programs, new technology um, to strengthen learning. Yeah. Jen? Yeah, thanks. And we at EdTech East Africa, we support, uh, I think, a, a similar type of community, but particularly totally. those that are focused on changing the way that education looks through technology. So mm -hmm. I think for myself, I got really excited about uh, you know, about a decade ago when, when technology was having such a massive impact across all sectors, really, and thinking about how could this transform the way that we teach and learn? How does it improve the access, the relevance, the quality, um, and, and how can we really use technology effectively to personalize that learning experience and to empower the leaders in classrooms mm -hmm. and outside of classrooms, including our caregivers at home, mm -hmm. uh, to, to create more... Uh, fun, exciting, you know, interesting, relevant learning experiences. So we started at Tech East Africa to basically bring that community of, of individuals together, people that were working in that space. Um, when I arrived in Kenya in 2014, um, I was having all of these incredible conversations with organizations who were doing amazing work, um, but they didn't really know each other. 
And there wasn't an opportunity to learn from one another and to share. So we started EdTech East Africa to basically solve that problem. How do we get everyone to come together, to share ideas, to share resources, and to essentially create a collective movement around education powered by technology? Mm -hmm. So we started running meetups. We started having specific programs designed for um, leaders of veteran ed tech organizations, for individuals who are actually doing design around curriculum or lessons, mm -hmm. um, and helping them to understand the evidence behind how to effectively use technology in those learning experiences. And so the community has just continued to grow from there. We now have about 3,400 members across the region. So starting here in Kenya, but then, of course, we've, we've continued to engage with partners in Kampala, Dar es Salaam, um, and we're looking at, you know, kind of expanding, continuing to build those partnerships in other communities. So it's allowed us to, to really have a, a, an amazing um, community of people who are innovative and generating new solutions, but also individuals who are excited about, you know, contributing back to that community and helping it grow. Awesome. So we've heard about the astounding work that both Metis and Edzek are doing. What about the other KKL parents? Um, tell us a bit about Rally. So Rally stands for the Regional Education Learning Initiative. And Rally is a member-driven organization that focuses on bringing together individuals who are focused or organizations that are focused on serving the, the populations that are most left behind. So they have about 70 member organizations across the region, uh, across East Africa. And basically they work to design num uh, different types of interventions focused on different areas within education that they feel like are underrepresented or don't have enough attention. Mm -hmm. um, so their interest in Cape Kenya Learning was specifically around um, you know, how do we reach some of these hard to reach communities like those in rural areas or urban low income communities? Mm -hmm. Cool. We've met the parents. Um, we're getting to know a little more about the gifted brainchild, which is Keep Kenya Learning, which brings us to our question of the day. What does it take to bring different community organizations with diverse views and approaches to collectively come together and collaborate towards um, a shared vision? So what phone calls did you have to make? Um, was it a walk in the park? <laughs> was it a walk in the park? Um, are there any challenges in the beginning? So I think when I listen to the postures that each of our communities have, um, Rally, EdTech East Africa, and Metis. Um, it's really like a part of our ethos and lifeblood um, is, is collective action and is collaboration. Um, so I think that, I don't know if it was easy per se, but it wasn't difficult. You know, I think that things move at the speed of trust and there is a lot of trust um, within our communities and, and across our communities. So we found ourselves just naturally gravitating towards each other um, as we wondered, you know, the same collective question, like how do we keep learning in the midst of a pandemic, in the midst of, at the time, um, extended school lockdowns, in the midst of so uncertainty, so much uncertainty, how do we keep learning? And the answer for us has always been, we keep learning together. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I absolutely agree. And I think, you know, while the time frame to actually bring all of these partners together for Keep Kenya Learning was quite short, the efforts of building those communities took years, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. So, uh, you know, starting in 2020, 
14 and uh, I think up through 2017 between mm-hmm. the three organizations. Yeah. Um, you know, we spent years actually building the trust, as Rebecca said, yeah. building the trust between these different members of our communities, building the trust between our communities and finding ways to sort of get to know each other and collaborate in mm-hmm. small ways leading mm-hmm. up to this. So I think uh, had we not had the benefit of all of that work over, you know, the the five years or so, five five yeah. or so years leading up to Keep Kenya Keep Learning, mm-hmm. then we would have had a much harder time. But in the end, um, it was a result of all of that, you know, that relationship development, that trust building within the community. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, that shared ethos that, that Rebecca yeah. said that, that actually made it possible. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, you know, for other communities that are thinking about doing this, having, uh, you know, the, the grounding and putting some effort in ahead of time into really developing those communities is what is going to make it successful. Like mm-hmm. for us, again, it felt quite easy to mm-hmm. marshal those resources when we needed them in the moment of, you know, those moments of urgency. But had we not done all of that groundwork previously, mm-hmm. it would have been much more difficult. So I think that's, it is a critical part of what made Keep Kenya Learning possible. Mm-hmm. So I don't want to downplay it at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but I do think it's, it's um, for us in that moment, it was, it almost felt, it felt a bit easy, to be honest with you, because it was just about reaching out to our friends who we knew loved doing this work as well and mm-hmm. cared as much as we did mm-hmm. about supporting the caregivers that we were trying to support. So it allowed us to just move that conversation very quickly. And people had faith and trust, I think, in us as the kind of, like you said, parents of this initiative <laughs> yeah. to to lead in a way that represented their values as well. Yeah. And so that's some great advice for um, organizations or community partners for this work going forward. Um, to the funders, I would say like make these investments in ecosystem builders, make these investments um, in communities, whatever that might look like, mm-hmm. um, because it pays dividends. Um, and in moments of crisis or in moments where there's um, urgency we've just seen throughout this last year how quickly and how effectively um, multiple stakeholders can mobilize towards a shared goal if there's already trust and relationship there and that of course takes time and love and energy and money okay sounds like community and trust is a big part plays a big part in this um so keep kind of learning happened in sprints right Yes. From sprint one through to sprint three that's currently wrapping up. Can you walk us through the sprints? And is there a particular reason you chose this approach instead of a one and done process? Yeah. Um, so the whole initiative is called Keep Kenya Learning. And I don't think any of us have lived through a pandemic before. Have you, Jen? <laughs> no, I have not. <laughs> um, so we, in this process, needed to learn a lot. And so we had, and we'll speak about some assumptions that we had at the beginning of this process um, that were really challenged. And so we designed this approach based on um, on sprints to help us rapidly test and, and learn um, as we go before we, you know, scale this. And I think this was supported by EdTech Hub, mm-hmm. uh, which is a uh, an initiative by 
the World Bank, FCDO, and the Gates Foundation, um, and they selected Keep Kenya Learning to participate in their sandbox process, which mm-hmm. is essentially an innovation practice that they they run um, mm-hmm. that helps to generate evidence and allow promising initiatives to scale. Mm-hmm. So I think in the very beginning of KKL, as we were bringing all of these partners together, we were very much driven by the urgency of the moment. We were saying, you know, we got to get things out there. We need mm-hmm. to get things into the hands of caregivers because schools are closed. People are struggling. We need to respond. Um, and it was through the sort of partnership that we have with EdTech Hub that allowed us to, to balance that a bit. You know, of course, we still wanted to move quickly and with urgency to get things into the hands of caregivers and support them as much as possible. But we also needed to, as, as Rebecca said, we needed to balance that with being evidence-driven and actually figuring out what makes the most sense. So in Sprint 1, that's really what drove us. Mm -hmm. We stopped and paused for a minute Mm -hmm. to say, let's get to know our caregivers better. What do they actually need? What is motivating them? What's frustrating them? Mm -hmm. Um, How can we best design the interventions from Keep Kenya Learning to respond to what's most important to them as opposed to what we think as educators or as the education community is important. So Sprint One, we we went out and we did a ton of research through focus groups and, and lots of conversations with caregivers, particularly in rural, urban low income, and urban lower middle income areas Mm -hmm. to help us better understand what's actually going on for them at home. Mm -hmm. And as they think about learning at home, what do they actually want? Um, Mm -hmm. Is this exciting to them? Is it something that they think is scary? Um, Is it something that they think is not for them at all? Mm -hmm. Um, And so really just trying to understand their current perceptions so we could design interventions that meet them where they are uh, and and help drive them in the direction that they think is important as opposed to, again, what we thought was important. So Sprint One was all about learning and listening. Um, and from Sprint One, I think that was some of our big aha moments. You've mentioned um, community mm-hmm. uh, a lot. We realized from Sprint One that that community was incredibly important as a part of Keep Kenya Learning. And yeah. so we needed to actually pause and think about the way that we were designing our intervention. So it wasn't just about sharing guidance and resources, but rather how do we help build communities around learning experiences for the caregivers who are engaging. The other big insight for us in, in Sprint One was around confidence. We did learn from our caregivers, particularly those with lower literacy levels, maybe lower uh, school completion rates, mm-hmm. um, they didn't feel ready to support their learners at home. They yeah. thought, you know, that's the teacher's job. Mm-hmm. My job is just to keep them safe and, and to get them to school when schools are open. But I don't have the right skills to actually lead this, this experience at home. And so what we realized through that was we need to help them see you already have everything that you need. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you don't, where can you find the resources to support you as you continue to grow? 
Sprint 2 then become, became the process by which we started designing some of these interventions to solve those problems. Mm -hmm. So we worked, again, in collaboration with our caregivers. Um, we designed interventions. We went through iterative feedback cycles where we're testing you know, small prototypes with our caregivers, getting their feedback, and they're providing us with their insights on those. And then Sprint 3 was the actual testing of how does that work? So we went, you know, we had small groups for sprints one and two, mm -hmm. um, working with really small groups of caregivers. And sprint three, we scaled that up to about 350 caregivers who then could give us feedback on, you know, this sort of suite of interventions uh, as we put them all together. So we've just wrapped that up. We're still in the process of yeah. collecting our data. Um, but, you know, anecdotally, we've heard really amazing pieces of feedback, both critical mm -hmm. and positive um, from our partners and our caregivers about the impact that that uh, Keep Kenya Learning has had on their lives. Awesome. So um, when I'm taking any project of whatever nature, there's always an expectations versus reality aspect. Um, what are some of the expectations that you had at the beginning of Sprint 1 that by Sprint 3 started to look like they weren't going to manifest in reality? Um, did anything fall off? Did anything not move past stage one? Did you give up on some aspects that you had? Well, they definitely, I mean, I think a lot of our assumptions were tested. And like Jen shared, we thought, you know, back in mid-2020, we thought, oh my gosh, schools are shut down again. Um, what caregivers need at this time to support learning at home is more more resources and then guidance on how to use those resources. So let's just get a bunch of folks. So we got over 60 partners to share, um, to sign on to the campaign, to share resources. Um, and we're like, great, our job is done. <laughs> and then, <laughs> and Jen's laughing because we realized, wow, that is actually not correct. Mm -hmm. And so um, it was just a reminder again to always um, to stop and really just to listen. And so we did the work of listening and then co-creation, which does take longer. Um, but I think the result is so much richer. And so instead of just focusing on resource dissemination, we really focused on, okay, how do we build caregiver confidence and how do we build communities of learning to support caregivers to ultimately lead learning at home. So actually the focus of our work really shifted. So instead of just giving out resources on how to support math at home or reading at home, um, we tested um, learning materials that actually built relationships between caregivers and learners at home. Mm -hmm. um, so really different focus um, with the same core aim of how do we support learning at home. And then in addition to that, I think we realized that there were some challenges with digital literacy mm -hmm. as well and, and their ability to access some of the resources that were coming from the amazing partners that were mm -hmm. a part of Keep Kenya Learning. But there was a gap yeah. between, you know, where they were and, and where they needed to be in order to access some of these resources. So with support from, from FCDO, we actually designed some digital literacy trainings mm -hmm. uh, for our caregivers, which which allowed them to understand how can I actually use my device to access learning materials. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we were getting insights from our community partners, things like 
they literally only know how to use the call and receive button. That's the only button on their phones that they know how to use. Mm -hmm. So even thinking about, you know, accessing SMS-based resources was a step beyond where our caregivers really were. So understanding that we needed to address some of these fundamental issues to be able to get that give them the the support they needed to be able to access this broader suite of resources. So our goal is again as we scale up, you know, we're still giving people access to that that full set of resources from all of the 60 plus partners that we have that are contributing to keep Kenya learning, mm-hmm. but we're solving some of the the foundational issues that uh, are necessary in order for people to truly engage in, in a way that's meaningful for themselves and for their children. Nice. Um, so there's some aspects of the Keep Kenya learning process that I'd love for us to discuss to give other edtech organizations a glimpse of what it takes to pilot a campaign, um, such as research. It sounds like this was an important part of the entire process, so much that you solicited um, help from Busara, who are a research firm. Can you tell us why it was important to carry out this research? And did the data that you collected translate into actions that you implemented in the field? Yeah, absolutely. I I think research was critical um, and was integrated into everything that we did. So again, our focus in the very beginning was how do we actually listen more effectively to the Mm -hmm. caregivers we're trying to serve? Um, Mm -hmm. And I think that became a design principle for the campaign. So, you know, really understanding that we don't have all of the answers, Mm -hmm. um, that the answers lie with uh, within the people who are are going to be doing the actual learning at home, right? And so um, we continued to work to collect that through the entire pilot experience. Busara was an amazing partner to us in helping us figure out what are the right ways to collect that data? How do we make sense of that data? And then again, to your point, how do we translate it into action? So mm-hmm. what do we do with this? Um, to to make sure that we're designing things that make sense. So I think you know the the biggest place where research had an impact for us was was after Sprint One because I think it fundamentally changed the direction of the campaign and and what we thought we were going to be doing. Mm-hmm. But even now, as we're wrapping up Sprint Three. We've got data coming in from our caregivers. We've got data coming in from our partners. We've got data coming in from uh, our funders. Uh, you know, everyone who's who's been involved in this process, and we're trying to now leverage all of that insight to be able to say, okay, now how do we go from 350 caregivers to you know tens of thousands or millions, uh, you know, across mm-hmm. the country. Thank you for joining us on this journey and thank you to Jen and Rebecca for taking the time to come in. If you need access to any learning resources and materials, visit us at keepkenyalearning.com or email us at info at keepkenyalearning.com. Remember, schools may close, but learning never stops. Until next time, let's keep Kenya learning. learning.